Morning, everyone. Morning. It's so good to be here together and uh, brilliant again just to see some new faces, to welcome some people uh, for whom I think it's maybe their first time here. Uh, you're so welcome. We're so glad that you are here. As Scott said, true whether you're here for the first time or, or for a long time. Um, but this is, our, this is kind of our summer setup. Uh, normally the keyboard's up there and things like that. And, but, uh, but we had to put out extra chairs today, which is, which is a good problem to have. So uh, it always looks a bit different when the kids go out, but it's great to see such a good number in the middle of the summer and uh, just wonderful to, to welcome one another in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Um, just to share with you, because um, if you're anything like me, you maybe notice things like this and it maybe bothers you and you maybe wonder, what are they, why are they not trying to fix that? Some of you will have noticed that the screen has been dimming slightly over the last, well, months, let's be honest, um, to the point where it's quite difficult to see. So maybe some of that magnitude video, especially some of the darker scenes in this nice bright room, it's quite difficult to see. Just to let you know, we are working on that. We've actually got uh, two new bulbs for the projector coming from D3, the company who put that in and we're hopeful that that's going to make a huge difference to the clarity of the projector so just to let you know that we're we're working on that anyway just because like I say some of you are maybe like me you're sitting there thinking about things like that there we go I saw one or two nodding when I said that um, one of my favorite things is when I hear of different ways that people are finding to engage with God day by day, either in the scriptures or in prayer, different creative ways that people are finding to do that. So I'll give you a few examples. Uh, so one of the youth from Magnitude uh, since that time was showing me that he started a new Bible reading plan uh, going through the whole of the New Testament in 40 days. And he was showing me how many chapters he's been reading and his new, he's got a new highlighting system on his version app and things like that. And he was getting fired up about it. I was chuffed to see that. Um, one of the elders um, has another way of approaching the Bible. So after um, them doing the Bible in a year, uh, for a few years, they decided to slow down massively and they just took one Bible book and they had a massive commentary next to them and they'd read like a couple of verses a day and then they would you know, dig deep into what God was saying through the help of the commentaries. That's another way. Another one of the elders, uh, who, you know, I was, I was telling uh, Bethany about this, and she named, it straight away, named him straight away Mike, because Mike has shared this from the front. Uh, he takes a topic that he's thinking about, and he reads through the whole Bible with regard to that one specific topic, and writes down every verse he can find on that topic. I love hearing of different creative ways that people engage in God's Word. Sometimes it's maybe not a reading plan, it might be something different. Sometimes people have favorite places to spend time with God. I uh, knew one person who had one seat in their house, and the only purpose that they would sit in that seat for was when they were wanting to commune and spend time with God. Sometimes it might be a change of a, of a different Bible layout, you know, so you get so many creative versions of the Bible now. It might be like a reader version that has all the, the verse numbers and the chapter numbers put away. Uh, when I was on sabbatical, I, I got a, a Bible specifically for that purpose, a journaling Bible, and I came up with my very, is this what you were laughing at me about? My very own highlighting system. I get so happy about my highlighting system. If you want any tips on a highlighting system, come speak to me. I've got a little bag of highlighters. I'll send you the Amazon like, hey, you know what? I'll even pay for your highlighters. 
and they're not cheap. Uh, it's because you don't want them to mess your Bible up. So I'll hook you up. If you need the highlighting system, come and speak to me. I get so happy about it. Uh, I also get happy about this Bible. I bought this Bible for uh, preaching through the pandemic, and I, I love it because it's really nice, soft leather. So every time I take it, I keep it in its box, and I take it out of the box, and I give it a nice big smell, which just prepares my heart for what's about to happen which is all good apart from, <laughs> apart from that it was open last night in my house and apparently Luna also likes the smell because she came up, sniffed it and started licking my Bible, which at first I was annoyed about, but then I realized she was just showing her appreciation as well. Another thing that some people have down, done is found specific geographic locations that are meaningful to them in terms of their journey with God. So there's a, there's a beach over the West Coast, Old Shoremore Beach, which is a very special spiritual place for me. Others might take a trip to the Holy Land or perhaps some other place that has been significant in terms of your ongoing walk with God or maybe a place that's been significant over the centuries in the history of God's story. And then we've mentioned our young people away at Magnitude. I was thinking about them uh, this week and for uh, some of them, how their memory of the tent or the camping area or maybe a late night discussion that for some of them, that will never, ever leave them. I was remembering back to some of my own trips to Soul Survivor down in England as a, as a youth and then as a youth pastor. One or two very particular places I can remember where I was sitting where I met with God in a profound and special way, and those are significant times. All of these things, special ways, special places, special plans, special systems, all of these can be wonderful as we think about engaging with God. As long as these tools, these modes of engagement don't become the main thing. And it's easy for that to happen. It is so easy for external, peripheral habits and customs to become more important, more cherished, more prioritized than the actual point of it all, which is true worship of God. I mean, sadly, over the world on so many occasions, this has been the case. Particular places have become prominent. Particular religious paraphernalia, particular customs or traditions have become the main thing. And God gets squeezed out. And friends, this is a danger that Jesus speaks directly to in our passage for today. So we're coming back to John chapter 4. As Scott mentioned, this is part B. Uh, last week, we, we took the time to explore the fascinating dynamics of the, the interaction of Jesus and this Samaritan lady. And uh, if you're interested in that and how that unfolds, then I would encourage you, you can watch or, or listen online, uh, either at the Hillview website or uh, on the YouTube channel. But we jumped over the verses that Heidi read for us because I wanted to specifically look at them today. Well, why? Why is it the case that I wanted to do that? Well, for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because there is a phrase in here which is one of those phrases that if you have been around church for any amount of time, you will hear lots. People will pray this, this phrase an awful lot, that we will worship in spirit and in truth. We hear that phrase a lot, so it's just worth pondering that for a, a special moment. And then the other reason is that uh, only, this is one of the only passages 
in the New Testament that actually gives some instruction as to what worship is. So there are lots of times in the Gospels, or especially in the book of Revelation, where we hear about worship. We hear that people bowed down in worship. But actually, almost never, apart from here in John 4, do we get any description of what true worship is. So it's just worth us looking at that for a little while. So the context is this very surprising conversation Jesus is having with this woman of Samaria. It's surprising because Jews and Samaritans did not associate together. It's surprising because men and women in the culture of that day did not interact like this. And it's surprising because of the way the conversation is going. And in verse 16 of John chapter 4, it takes a particularly surprising turn when Jesus asks for the woman to go and bring her husband. And again, I encourage you to check out last week's message if you're wondering, what on earth is Jesus doing there? But let's read from verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And we'll come back to the passage again, but I want to suggest from this passage three things that worship is not about before closing to look on what worship is. First thing is this, worship is not about pretending, not about pretending. From the start of their dialogue together, Jesus has been trying to get this woman to ponder and accept some of the most fundamental and important realities. He has living water for her that will forever quench the existential thirst that she has been living with. Water that will well up in her to eternal life. But this lady here in John chapter 4 has not yet truly seen and accepted and grasped what Jesus has to offer her. So in bringing up this question of her husband's, in verse 16, Jesus is throwing a huge curveball at her in this moment. And from her response in verse 19, I suspect that she was feeling like she had batted the response right out of the park to Jesus' question. Oh, you know, Jesus, thanks for flagging that. I think you must be a prophet. Um, but let's just leave that little question of my husband's aside for a few moments. Jesus, Let's talk theology. Uh, you know the location of the temple, Jesus? Where should it be? I've got a real theological humdinger for you. Let's just, let's just forget about the husband's question for a moment. And what she does is she tries to draw Jesus into this question of what worship site is most valid in that day. But Jesus won't have it. He wants to get to the heart of what true worship is, as we're going to see. Worship is not about pretending, keeping God at arm's length. How tempting it is to keep away from the heart of what is going on in our lives with God to instead focus on any number of incidental or peripheral matters. So this can happen both inside and outside of the community of God's people. 
So inside the church of Jesus Christ, the question of what is worship or how do we worship or what does it mean to worship God, they can quickly change to debates about what songs we should be singing or how many repeats are permitted for each song or what style of music we should be pursuing or or what should be the content of our weekly services. Now, these are not unimportant questions. In fact, there are questions that, you know, not so long ago as as worship and service leaders, we we got together in the lounge to talk about these sorts of things, to to try and improve the offering that we're bringing to God week by week. And it's not that any church always gets those sorts of questions right. But the point is this, that if those sorts of questions are the main topics that are coming up and that are bothering us and consuming us when it comes to the question of worship, then we should be concerned. The Father is seeking worshipers. And we so often can get stuck squabbling about personal preferences. I really hope that you might have one or two people in your life that can cut through those things, whether it's about worship styles or whether it's about any other way that you might try and keep the the question of what is truly going on on in your heart before God. Any way that you would keep that away from being addressed and being dealt with, I hope you have one or two people who can cut to the heart of that and say, no, no, forget about that issue. Forget about this issue. How are you getting on with Jesus? How is your engagement with God? How is your life of worship? This lady tried to push the question of what Jesus was offering her away and instead deal with trivialities. And Jesus said, no, not at all. And and, and that's an example then. So we've talked about people inside the church, but also people outside the family of God. I mean, that's really what's going on here in John 4. This woman has yet to receive Jesus as her savior and, and he's offering her living water. And she wants to talk abstract theology. She's keeping Jesus and his offer at arm's length. And there are so many ways that people can do this rather than opening up to God, right? So many questions and issues. Again, often important matters, but not the most ultimate that people stumble over end up being obstacles. How could God do this? What about the church's history with this? What about that? Again, not unimportant issues, but that things that would be obstacles for us receiving this life-giving refreshment of the living water of Jesus Christ. Worship is not about pretending. It's not about pretense. It's not about peripheral matters. Don't get stuck there. Secondly, Worship is not about a place, a place. This uh, Samaritan lady brings up the question of two mountains. We're not going to get too caught up in this, but the question she's asking is, should the primary location of God's worship be here on Mount Gerizim where they were standing, or should it be in Jerusalem where the Jewish temple was? So this is getting at some of these differences between the Jewish and the Samaritan people. The Samaritan people only recognized the first five books of the Old Testament. And uh, they, they only saw them as being authoritative from God. And this mountain where they were standing features prominently in those books. It was where Abraham uh, worshipped in Genesis 12. It's where God's blessings and curses were pronounced in Deuteronomy 11 and, and 27. 
So that was the Samaritan people. Mount Gerizim was an important place for them. But for the Jewish people, through, through their history, as God had allowed Solomon to build it, they had this temple in Jerusalem, which had become the focus of their worship. And the lady wants to know what's right and what's wrong. Where is it? Where's this special place? And Jesus, in verse 21, basically undercuts the whole question. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, you know, that sounds a little dismissive. Another, I think a better translation might be madam. It's just a polite way of referring to someone who we don't know her name. So, madam, woman, uh, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Don't get caught up on this question of location. Worship is not about a place. Worship is not about external realities, not about one set of religious practices over another in and of themselves. And, and here, as I thought about this, I did especially have our young people on my heart as they think about coming back from magnitude. I mean, it's so wonderful to hear of lives changed and magnitude. And as I've said, I don't undermine that at all. Some of the most significant moments of my life were on weeks away. But it's hard, right, when you come home from something like that. You come home and all of a sudden worship is happening, not in a cool, dark tent with smoke machines and awesome lights like we saw there, but it's in a big, bright room with kids running around. And even scarier than that, your parents nearby. Uh, and the atmosphere is different. It's just different. And the songs are different. And the band is different. And the style of talk is different. And you don't go from that big tent to late night worship and late night discussions to 3 a.m. And, and beyond, I think, in the tents afterwards. And the question I have for the young people here especially is, will your worship of God be as wholehearted and as passionate as it was through your time at magnitude. Worship is not about a place. It is, spoiler alert, we're getting there, it's about a person. And Jesus is just as present and deserving of our worship here or tomorrow morning at this time or the next day and so on as anywhere else. And here's the truth, and Scott got this right in his prayer. He said, we need the young people's example to help disciple us, to help us grow closer to Jesus. That is so true. We do need the warmth of the fire that you guys experienced last week at Magnitude to help us keep our flame burning hot here at Hillview week by week. Some of you may have heard the question, are you a thermometer or a thermostat? A thermometer measures the temperature, but a thermostat not only measures it, but sets the temperature, brings the heat little by little. Dear friends, let us all, not just young people, but let us all not be thermometers, just passively noting the temperature around about us. If that's all we're doing, we're in trouble because I've got to tell you, the temperature, the spiritual temperature in the northeast of Scotland is not burning ablaze. It's tough. It's tough here. This is a, a, a place that has turned its back on God. Worship is not about a place. Yes, we all have special moments of connection with God. There's nothing long, wrong with that unless we're just clinging on to those little moments that come, I'm sorry to tell you, maybe a few 
times every few years. It's not the normal Christian life. Worship is not about a place, it's about a person. So as we draw near to the fire of God's presence, as you guys did last week, let's take that warmth and spread it around this church. Thermostats, raising the spiritual temperature week by week. Thirdly, briefly, worship is not about a people. A people. This woman wants to know which group is the right group. Who's got this worship thing right? And Jesus responds in two ways. At first, it seems like he leans into the lady's question. Look at verse 22. You worship what you do not know. We, the Jewish people, worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. You wonder, what on earth does that mean? Well, this is actually just a step towards Jesus' final answer. His comment about we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. It's highlighting this, this issue that I mentioned before of, of the inadequate revelation that the Samaritans were working with, just these first five books of the Bible. And particularly in that, they were missing so many passages about God's coming Messiah, who would be the Savior of God's people. That's what Jesus means by salvation is from the Jews, that from the family of God's people. A savior was coming. And so Jesus is about to underline that true worship happens through this savior. He, he does that in verse 23. He says, the hour is coming and is now here. Now we're going to get to that, but he's saying, it's, it's in me. It's in the story of, of God's revelation of a people, establishment of a people, covenant people through whom would come me, would come a savior. And if you want to jump down and cast your eye down to verse 42, you get this confirmation that this is what's going on here because it says, many more believed in Sychar because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. This is the only time that word savior is used in John. And this is what it means that salvation is from the Jews. It's all possible through Jesus. Now we're going to get there. That's where we're closing. But it's important to note on the way how Jesus makes this clear. It's not about the issue of Jews versus Samaritans. Worship is not about a people group. Isn't it wonderful the access to God, to be part of the family of God, is not restricted to any tribe or tongue or nation or ethnic group. But all of us here in all of our diversity today, and may God increase and grow that diversity among us, all of us, all of us are welcome in to the family of God. You don't need to be a particular from nation or a particular ethnicity or even a particular church or a particular group within that church. Again, how sad it is that there have been so many divisions within Christ's church on this issue of worship, so-called worship wars. Is there a more upsetting phrase? It's horrible, isn't it? Don't make worship about one group of people's opinions over another's. Worship is not about a particular people or place or about pretending. Finally, worship is about a person. Verse 23, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers 
will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is, speak, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Worship is about God. Of course. Now there's an awesome Trinitarian reality to what is unfolding here. So he says the hour is coming. You know what Jesus is referring to there? He's referring to his, his death and his resurrection and his exaltation at the right hand of the Father. The hour is coming, and he says, and it has now come. That's a paradox, right? But he's saying, it's coming because of what I'm here to do, but in me, it's already present. This is about Jesus' work. This particular incredible moment upon which the history of the world hinges is coming. And in me, as I talk to you now, it's even here. All of this happens in and through me, Jesus is saying. For what end? It's so that the Father will be worshipped. And it's the Father who is seeking out these worshippers. And how does this happen? This worship happens in spirit. So you might remember back in John chapter 3, the little curious verse where it says, that which is born of the Spirit, capital S, is spirit. Which is John's way of, or Jesus' way of saying that it's, it's as God makes you alive through the power of the Holy Spirit, that that is the true spiritual life that God intended us for. So this worship that we're called to bring before God happens in Christ Jesus for the glory of the Father, and it happens in the power of the Spirit, worship in spirit and in truth. And, 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 and this wonderful reality, did you catch it? Um, the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. The Father is seeking. Not only is this worship of God, but it's God who brings it about. God who seeks us out. Think of that. Every single one of you here, the Father is seeking you out, pursuing you, chasing after you, looking for you, inviting you, beckoning worshipers to come to him. He was doing that throughout history and he's been doing it over the centuries since this conversation. Think of Luke chapter 15. The, 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 the shepherd who doesn't give up looking until that one sheep is found. The woman who doesn't give up looking until that coin of great value is found. The, the father eagerly waiting for the prodigal son to return home with all his mess and all his struggle. Think of Jesus looking up to Zacchaeus in the tree as he walks by. Think of Jesus joining the disciples on the Emmaus road. There are so many examples of this in the scriptures of God seeking out his people. And yes, there are many ways in which we're told to come and to seek God. But that desire, that capacity, that inclination to know God and to come to him, it comes because God has first sought us out. It's no small thing, friends. God is seeking you to bring worship to him so that you will worship in spirit and in truth. Here's this little phrase. Worship is not about external circumstances, a place or a people. It's about an internal response from us within our spirits. But what's that response? What are we responding to? 
the worship in spirit that we're talking here is based on someone. It's not just an empty emotion. It's based on truth. The truth of who God is. Our worship of God is to be based on the truth of who he is. And of course, you see so many examples through the scriptures of this. Do a search for the Lord is, and you see things like a refuge. He's a king forever. He's righteous. He's my rock, my light, my salvation. True worshipers, as Jesus puts it, will engage their heads and their brains and seek to know who this God is as they come to worship. They will seek to understand who God is as best as we can. We cannot fully get our heads around this, but we do want to understand, want to analyze what this means for them and for the world. They want to connect the the character of God to the, the truths of the gospel and the needs of the world. True worshipers dwell upon these truths, study the scriptures, try and increase their understanding, wrestle with these things, hold together different truths, all in beautiful tension. Incidentally, by the way, this is why I really do believe that preaching should be understood as part of our worship. You'll sometimes hear me pray before we come to the sermon, God help us as we continue in our worship just now. Because in preaching, we're trying to proclaim the wonderful truth of who God is and his great love. So we want to worship in spirit and in truth, but it can't end there. We're also to worship God in spirit. It's not just about learning a bunch of information. It's not formal or external, but it comes from within. Our worship is to be based on the truth of who God is, and then we need to engage with that in our whole lives. Our spirits must respond to that. That means, friends, I have to tell you, our emotions are involved in this stuff. That's why I need a cloth just now because it's exciting stuff and our emotions are involved when we come to worship. Listen to these verses. Psalm chapter 2 verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Leviticus 9.24. When all the people saw the glory of the God, they shouted for joy and fell face down. Psalm 47 verse 1. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. When Scott said, let yourself give a little whoop, that was very biblical. That was a cry of joy in that moment. All that we are All that we have been made alive by God, responding to all that God is. This is worship in spirit and in truth. I've shared this quote before, but let me share it again. I love it. John Piper says of this uh, this passage in John 4. Together, the words spirit and truth mean that real worship comes from the spirit within and is based on true views of God. Worship must have heart and worship must have head. Worship must engage your emotions, and worship must engage your thought. Truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy and a church full of unspiritual fighters. Is that you? Truth without emotion? Or is this you? Emotion without truth, Piper goes on, produces empty frenzy and cultivates flaky people who reject the discipline of rigorous thought. True worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. Will you worship God this week? Not pretending, but opening your life 
to him, not chasing after a particular atmosphere or place or dynamic or perfect set of circumstances, not defining what that is by any particular group of people, but will you bring your worship to God, remembering that it's all about a person, your Father in heaven, all of this made possible through Jesus, your Savior, your Spirit, made alive by the Spirit responding to all that God is. So I just thought, you know what, maybe we could do that for a little bit before we sing and close our service. Um, I just would love us to worship God together. And the way I'm going to suggest we do that is just in the quiet, uh, you might just offer a little one-line prayer. You can do more than one if you want, but let someone else have a turn as well. Uh, Something like this. We worship you, God, because... And then you bring your prayer to God. Or thank you, God, that, and simple as that. And let's just bring our worship to God just now. And in a moment, uh, Linz will lead us in, in a song. So let's, let's worship the Lord together.